Welcome to the Humble Hoof Podcast. My name is Alicia Harlov. This is a podcast for both horse owners and hoof care professionals, offering discussions into various philosophies on the health of the hoof and soundness of your horse. Please check us out on Facebook or at thehumblehoof.com. A special thank you to our sponsor, Equithrive. This one goes out to all the horses with the crusty necks, fleshy backs, and girthy middles. The horses who gain a few extra pounds simply by breathing air. The easy keepers on limited pastures. The folks at Equithrive know there is nothing easy about easy keepers. That's why they have formulated products just for you. Equithrive's Metabarol is a pelleted supplement that is scientifically proven to support healthy metabolic function and a healthy inflammatory response in horses. It's bona fide joint and metabolic support, all in one easy to feed pellet. Visit equithrive.com today and use the promo code HUMBLEHOOF to get 20% off your first order plus free shipping. www.equithrive.com. As healthcare providers, we play a huge role in the horse's comfort and soundness and movement. But when you trim foals in young horse hooves, you play a really huge role in how that leg develops, how their conformation turns out in terms of their joints, soft tissue, and their conformation of the limb. This is something that I have always wanted to learn more about and become more versed in because I don't trim as many foals as others do. I reached out to a friend of mine, Kirsten Proctor, who has a passion for working on foals and really understands what to look for when it comes to making sure that you're making the right trim decisions at the right time. I asked if she'd be willing to chat with me about what decisions she makes when she's working on young horses, and she agreed. So why don't you start by telling us a little bit about your history in hoof care, or actually just history with horses in general, and how you became interested in trimming foals? Okay, I'll try to give a condensed version. <laughs> um, I grew up riding and showing horses, uh, doing gymkanas and things like that. And then I went to college when I worked summer jobs. And then when I got out of college, I went into the racing industry and to thoroughbreds where I stayed for a couple of years. And then I went to the standard bread industry for a couple of years. And then I spent some time on a breeding farm went back to the standard breads, opened my own stable and had some thoroughbreds at the same time. So having a lot of fun, it was pretty successful, but I was struggling with my personal riding horse with soundness. And a friend introduced me to the person that she was flying to upstate New York, because this is going back to 2009, I believe. And there just wasn't very many rehab practitioners, you know, doing the kinds of things that we do at that time. And she fixed my horse I had been struggling with for years. And it opened my eyes. I started looking at horses differently and how I kept them and how I fed them. It just was a was an eye-opening experience. The foals, I've had broodmares and babies of my own for a long time <clears throat> prior to when I met that woman. And it just kind of snowballed because I would do foals. A lot of local people wouldn't. People would call me to ask me to do one or two that their farrier wouldn't do. And it just kind of went went from there. I like working with youngsters. I have a lot of patience and I just get along with them well. And I like to take my time and 
that's that, I guess. Yeah. And so when you say that other fairies wouldn't do them, was that just because they can be a little bit squirrely or they felt like it was out of their comfort zone? Or why do you think that they they weren't interested in trimming them? The most common response that I got when I seemed surprised by it was that they said they didn't want to get hurt. Yeah, Um, I can definitely see where that would be a concern because I've trimmed some foals or, you know, horses just a few months old that... (sighs) You know, I've I've worried that I was going to get hurt. And that's definitely something I would love to ask you about later. But first, I'd love to talk to you just about like, you know, your first few appointments with foals. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, say you get called that, you know, a, a horse had its baby, you have a newborn on the ground. When is the first time you want to see that horse? That really depends on the owner experience and how honestly experienced their veterinarian is and working with young horses. A lot of the the larger farms that have really experienced uh, full managers can evaluate them themselves and they, they know when you need to step in super early. Other people, if it's their first full or they don't have a lot of experience, I would want to see it earlier unless the veterinarian feels that they're completely okay and don't need any intervention. Typically, I would say four weeks is probably my average of the first time that I get to see them. And at that first appointment, what are you looking for in terms of, you know, how you're going to approach their feet? So you really have to pay attention to their whole body. When you have seen, you know, thousands of foals, you start to be able to get a good idea of how you think that foal is going to turn out. Some of them come out looking like little pretzels and people get panicky and and you just know by looking at this foal as long as we don't have any bumps in the road that you know five six weeks from now he's going to look like a million dollars so that's something that's kind of hard to just describe you know in in a few sentences but I want to see them move if they're too young to lead they can just follow mom otherwise I'll spend some time watching them in a paddock if we can, depending on if they're dealing with any deformities, they may not be allowed outside yet. And just start watching how that whole limb is is working with their body. I think people can get into trouble pretty quick making too much adjustments trying to help. They can they can go the other way. So you do have to be careful in how you approach them. Yeah. And that's something that I've often wondered about too, because I honestly don't work on a lot of foals. And I know that as horses grow, their body just growing and changing will actually change, you know, some of their, like what you perceive to be confirmation as a baby isn't truly their confirmation because they'll grow into themselves a bit. So how are you, obviously it takes experience and time and knowledge, but how are you determining like when you actually want to intervene and when you're going to let them sort of grow into themselves? Well, there's some breed differences too that you have to to pay attention to. So between what's accepted in the breed and what's normal in the breed and their development. So the bigger, bulkier breeds like quarter horses have a lot more mass in their chest and muscling through their shoulder. So those guys are going to tend to toe in on you naturally and they're easy to just kind of straighten back out. If you have a thoroughbred foal, for instance, that doesn't have a lot of width in their chest that's towing in, you could be in trouble because when the shoulder sling starts to develop and those toes bow out or those elbows bow out, you're going to be in trouble. 
because then they're going to be going in the opposite direction on you pretty quick. So I guess my question is, say you come to a horse, you're, you're sure or you're fairly confident that they're going to need some intervention just by how their limbs are looking. Do you typically lean towards uh, jumping right in with some sort of like prosthetic or glue on type situation? Do you try to adjust a lot with the trim or, I mean, I'm sure it depends on the case, but can you talk about your thought process through some of that? Yeah. So typically I kind of look at it. We definitely affect the entire body, but as far as correction, we can manage ankle down. We'll use glue-on cuffs and, and things of that nature. If you have a horse with some big limb deviations and some carpal or tarsal bones that aren't fully developed because you don't want to crush them. But other than that, we are kind of more responsible for the bottom of the limb as far as the changes that we can make from just a trim standpoint. Very few do you have to jump in with, with applying something, really. If, you, if you're on top of it right from the beginning and you monitor the amount of exercise they get, you don't let them get tired, you don't let them get weak, and you trim them on a regular basis and kind of make up for that uneven wear pattern, almost all of them will turn around. If they don't, in my area, it's usually surgical intervention. They'll usually put a screw in and just kind of it slows down one side of the the joint and speeds up the other and it just straightens them right out fairly quickly. Sounds invasive, but it's actually quite a simple procedure. And then do you have to change their trim after that or are you just kind of ensuring that they're you're balancing their wear parent patterns like you were saying? Yeah, so you really don't have once you come back, once they take that screw out, they're pretty straight. If it's in the ankle and you just want to stay on top of that and keep it going, it very rarely starts to, to overcorrect. That's one of the benefits of that procedure, as long as they pay attention to when they take it out. And then you just want to manage wear pattern. So to go back to your comment about the certain breeds like thoroughbreds that will toe out, I see a lot of people making comments, you know, when you see photos posted online of these horses that are really towing out and everybody's saying, oh, that's normal. Uh, leave it. Don't interfere. And some of these horses are just drastically deviating from the ankle, from the fetlock. And that's not okay. Yeah. When it is the entire limb that turns out slightly up from the shoulder, that's when that horse is going to develop, you know, in the chest and the shoulder muscling. And then that elbow is going to turn out and it's going to straighten the limb up and they're going to be perfectly fine. So as long as every joint is, is in alignment, it's accepting that it, it all turns out slightly, if that makes sense. Yeah. But if it, if it's just a major deviation from say the ankle, no, that's not okay. Like you can't leave that. Or you're going to have a horse who's just shearing that medial heel all the time, because as the forces come down the limb, there's, they're not being loaded properly. It's loading to the inside of where the hoof capsule starts. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm glad that you pointed that out. So it's interesting that you pointed out that it has to be that the, that it's, you know, coming down the limb, like the, the whole, whole limb is, you know, basically facing right. the same direction. Right. And and that's how you know right. that developing the chest is going to be, <laughs> you know, straightening the the horse out. Yeah. So when you pick the foot up to look at it down the limb, Every joint, the knee, the ankle, pastor, and coffin, the, the limb is just is flexing correctly and it all in the same direction. Whereas those horses that have that deviation just from the ankle, when you pick them up, you'll notice that as they 
it can be the ankle. It can sometimes start in the pastern. As you flex that limb, it's turning out, you know, off of that uh, sagittal plane, if that makes sense. Yeah, right. Yeah, definitely. So say you have a horse that you know you're going to have to do some corrective trimming. How often do you want to see them? It really depends on the horse, but I wouldn't go more than two weeks. Yeah. Uh, un- unless it's an experienced owner or manager that can monitor them because they just, once they get a little bit of extra growth, especially if you're fighting a deviation, it just can keep continuing that way. It's no different than our maintenance trims, right? We're just right. kind of trying to stay ahead of the curve and get on top of the situation instead of coming back and feeling like we're starting at the same place over and over again. Right. And do you find that they, that foals grow at like the same rate as an older horse or do you, do they grow faster? The young foals for sure. I have no doubt that they grow faster, at least until they get that, that foal capsule out, you know, those first several months. Yeah. But they don't see, they don't have the body mass of an adult horse. So they don't tend to flare out and look super long to people because they tend to just grow up. Right. And so people are, oh, they don't need a trim. Well, they do because they're not born with their internal structures developed. So that's the most important thing, in my opinion, of staying on top of them besides helping them develop, you know, confirmationally correctly for movement is developing the inside of that foot. So if we let the hoof wall overgrowth take over and take the back of the foot, you know, the the frog and everything right off the ground, well, how's it supposed to get worked out like a muscle? Yeah. Right. You know, and it won't. A special thank you to our wonderful sponsor, Cavallo. For our humble hoof listeners, they are offering 20% off their Cavallo Trek hoof boots using the coupon code HRN at checkout. The Trek is the world's most popular and versatile hoof boot and Cavallo's toughest trail boot while also doubling as an option for therapy or rehab. The front closure system makes it easily adaptable to various hoof shapes, and the TPU upper design allows for maximum strength while minimizing weight for the comfort and ease of movement for your horse. These are recommended by vets and trainers and also loved as transport boots by barrel racers, ship jumpers, dressage riders, and everyone in between. Again, for 20% off a pair of treks, use the code HRN at checkout at cavallo-inc.com. I know you mentioned movement earlier too. And when I was talking to Simon Curtis a few months ago, or I might've been a year ago now that I talked to him on the podcast, he was talking about how there are cases where he doesn't want the foal to move too much. And you, you kind of alluded to that too. Whereas in my head, you know, I'm thinking like, oh, young horse, I want them to move as much as possible because they're going to be like, you know, gaining all that strength in their digital cushion and frog like you were talking about. But yeah. what are the cases where you might not want them moving as much? Well, any kind of um, angular limb or flexural deformities because they get tired really easy. So when you look at wild horses when they're born, they're quite small and compact. But the way we're breeding these horses today you know, a lot of our upper level performance horses, they are all legs, like to the point where you have no idea how that mare fit that baby inside. (laughs) So everything's just folded up in there. And so then they come out, you know, kind of warbly looking and everything needs time to learn to strengthen and develop. And if you have a weak spot 
you know, really commonly uh, laxity in the hind end and the ankles will be touching the ground. If you just let that full willy nilly exercise, all he's going to do is bruise and damage himself and he's not going to get stronger. He's going to get weaker. So that's, that's a good case. Yeah. And so then how long, like, when do you start thinking that more movement's a better, like a good idea? That's so individual, um, <laughs> case, case to case. So usually it's just small amounts of time so that, you know, you're not letting them get tired because they'll, they'll go out there and race around like maniacs. They have no idea that their legs are on sideways. Right. And, and then you'll see them start getting really tired, like a horse who's over in the knee, you know, a little, a little foal that's over in the knee when they start getting tired they'll actually start buckling and shaking because they can't, you know, they can't hold themselves up. Uh, they just don't have that kind of strength. So ideally, yeah, I mean, I get it. I'm, I'm that way too, like movement, 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 but it's just not, it's just not possible when you're, when you're dealing with issues like that and, and you have to have a good team with your veterinarian uh, to come up with a good plan and people have to listen to it. And I know that's hard for, especially, you know, people who want their horses to move a lot it is natural but it's also natural for this foal to die in the wild not trying to be harsh but that's what would happen yeah and how like what's the success rate that you see when you intervene early for some of these like conformational issues oh pretty good especially like a laxity behind it's pretty rare that 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 you can't get them to strengthen up and correct up quickly. Most of them, you don't even end up having to put cuff extensions on just by trimming them uh, and give and making sure that they rest and watching their diet. You, you can get them to strengthen up on their own. A lot of people don't want to trim them because they, they think, well, their ankle's sitting on the ground, so their heel must be too low. But what happens is the heel tubules start to curl under. Mm-hmm. And then it starts to shift the whole capsule forward really quickly. And so you make the problem worse. So it is important to, to see them, you know, and do them routinely and keep them balanced and, and backed up. Yeah. So, you know, when comparing your trim on like a maintenance trim on, on a, you know, mature horse and, I know what I have in mind for like going up to a foot and trimming it. Are you having those same kind of ideals when you come to a full foot? I know. I mean, to me, the foals I've worked on, their feet are like, they look totally different to me, you know, because they don't, like you said, they don't have that fully developed coffin bone or structures inside the hoof. So their, their foot doesn't look like an adult foot. Um, Does your trim change based on their age? It definitely changes because you, you need to take into consideration what you're trying to do, uh, what improvements you're trying to make for them. Uh, not that I'm not doing that with an adult horse, but I think adult horses have more body mass again, so you're going to get changes quicker. Mm-hmm. So you can also make small changes with, with foals and, and get some really positive results too. But I'm always, I'm always prioritizing the back of the foot. I really want that frog to be in contact with the ground. So on an adult horse, I wouldn't want to leave a trim where the the frog is technically like the highest point on the foot. I'll do that on a, on a full okay. and not have any trouble with it. And when you come back, it's just made massive improvements in the back of the foot. Oh, that's awesome. 
Yeah. So I think the biggest problem that we run into, like my soapbox is thoroughbreds do not genetically have bad feet and nobody's going to convince me that they do. It's husbandry practices between hard feeding. There is a little bit of line breeding going on, which I'm sure doesn't help. Uh, keeping them on soft ground, you know, all these kinds of things contribute to the back of the foot not developing. And then when you have no caudal structure and then you go and you pound them on sand, well, what happens? The foot just platters out. Yeah. Um, so you're talking about like even these like racing thoroughbreds because, you know, I've seen the same where I've seen thoroughbreds that have beautiful feet, especially, honestly, there are some that... Uh, you know, they come off or, or when I meet them, they like never were on the track and their feet are, are amazing. A lot of ones that I see that come off the track, it's like I have to do a lot of rehab work to get their feet better. And often they're not as strong as those ones that I saw that never raced. But you're talking about even horses that are planning to go on the track, you're approaching their feet differently before they ever race. Oh, yeah. Yep. You can, you can work on setting them up for success, not going long in between trims. And, and um, that, that's a huge thing, actually. Yeah. And so then do you see those horses? Sorry, not that this isn't like a thoroughbred episode, but um, <laughs> do you see those thoroughbreds then? Like if you started them off with really good hoof care, you know, you're getting their back half of their foot nice and strong. Do you see those feet deteriorate or, or lose some of that when they start racing? Without a doubt. Yeah. I would yeah, without a doubt. It's just a lot of concussion on a, you know, on a pounding surface. And I just think you have a lot of bruising to the corium and nerves. And, and that just affects, kind of keeps that inflammation in the foot. And then they're just fed crazy energy diets. And it all just kind of spirals downhill from there. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, when I... I feel like, you know, these adult horses that we're rehabbing, I think that, and I don't know if you agree with this, but what I've seen is that their ability to rehab to a certain point is capped by how strong their foot developed when they were young. Cause I, I, and I don't work on a lot of foals, but I have a lot of owners who'll be like, oh yeah, this horse has been, you know, barefoot its whole life or was like only in shoes for a little bit at this time. And, you know, obviously it's not, all just barefoot versus shod, but it's just like how much that foot is contacting the ground and the structures are getting that stimulation. And those feet seem to rehab to such a stronger point because they had that early stimulation. Whereas ones that I see that were either like didn't have a ton of movement when they were young or didn't have, you know, just a lot of focus on that back half of the foot when they were younger. It's like, yeah, I can get their feet stronger, but it's sort of, it limits that potential, it seems like. I think so. And I think that's one of the biggest reasons why I like doing young horses. Because that's really where we're missing the boat. It's it's sort of like when you look at natural balance dentistry and not using power tools. And, well, that is awesome. But if you have a horse who hasn't received dentistry or is older and has had incorrect dentistry, well, then you need power tools because you can't possibly keep their mouth open long enough, you know, to get to the back hooks. Yeah. Right. So I think that we as husbandry practices need to be more responsible for getting the earlier jump. Um, 
I love racing. I get a lot of crap for that. So especially in our industry. Um, so I'm definitely not knocking it. I just think that there's, you know, there's some things that we could do differently to help them a lot. Yeah. And sorry, I know this was like, that was like a whole tangent. So, you know, kind of to that end, like what or how long do you think that you have or how long would you say you have to influence a horse's confirmation or like how their hoof capsule confirmation even is going to end up? Like what span of time in their life do you have to influence that? Well, I think that no matter what their age, uh, human beings are capable of ruining their hoof capsule and causing distortion. So there's that. Right. But as far as young horses, every joint is, is different. You really have to get the most amount of work done before that joint, before the long bone growth plates close that affect that joint. So, you know, that's why you want to get in there so early, especially with ankles, because you only have a couple months and, and then it's closed and then there's not as much you're going to be able to do. Even surgically, you couldn't, because if the growth plate isn't open, and it's almost closed, well, then you're not going to make any change by slowing down or speeding up one side of the bone because that's not going to work. So, you know, hocks and knees, you could go more to a year. Those are a lot less common. um, What's that? The deviations are less less common. Yeah. Well, as far as needing surgical intervention. Yeah. Okay. So that's, it's definitely a lot more ankles. Front and back, you know, really, really depends. But you want to take into consideration that horse's function and value to a degree. I mean, you have to kind of weigh that if it's if it's a person who's bred their personal horse looking for their next, you know, performance horse prospect, not at the level of racing, then they might be able to tolerate minor deviations as long as the horse is kept balanced. That, that's the biggest thing. So if I came up to a horse that was like a long year, like maybe, you know, almost a two-year-old and they had some like wonky limb thing going on, I basically just can't do anything. Like you're just trying to make sure that they're moving as soundly as possible. Like I'm not going to change that confirmation. You might be able to change it a little bit only because you're, you can affect soft tissue. Okay. Yeah. Right. So then that's going to make a difference to how the, the bony column is supported. So, so I think that you definitely can, and I'm sure you've seen it in older horses too. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that one of the things that I, I probably give the hoof more credit for, or or a lot of credit for is its ability to, to gain comfort or soundness in the back half of the foot. Cause I feel like that even in these older horses that I come to has a lot of adaptability based on how we trim it and how that horse is worked and things like that. Um, I guess where I tend to be more nervous or more unsure is like, okay, say this horse has, you know, an angular limb deformity where they're really towed in or really towed out. And that's where I'm less, less aggressive in changing anything because I don't want to then go against what their joints and ligaments are doing if they're older, you know? Um, and that's something where I probably just need to, to learn more and have more experience with, with seeing those change, but. Yeah. And, and one thing to kind of throw out there when you, when you've seen a lot of horses move. So if you, if you have like a spiral twist to a limb, like you can watch a horse standing still 
and it might, and it toes out slightly and it looks like it's the entire limb and you're just going to wait for that horse to, to open up a little bit. And then you watch the horse walk. And even though the limb stands toed out, they actually land on the lateral wall of the foot first. Mm -hmm. And that's way up high. And that's something that we can't affect. We can't have any effect on or shouldn't try because you can make it much worse because they'll end up shearing that heel. But so really seeing the move to me is just as important as watching them stand statically. Um, which can be hard because they're little monkeys, but (laughs) you know, because they don't have the body mass, you might not see the distortions as quickly as you would in an older horse. Right. You know, you just want to keep that foot balanced. Yeah. So when you're watching them move and you're noting, you know, what side of the hoof are they landing on and that kind of thing, or where their movement is coming from down the limb are, how are, are you making trim decisions based on that landing? For sure. And so can you give an example of how, like what you might do based on a certain kind of landing? Like if they're landing hard medially or, or laterally or something like that? Well, you want to take into account the way that the, the limb is moving, the wear pattern, and then the, the static alignment of the, of the bones as well before you really jump in on that. Uh, breed, they have, every breed has different things that they'll accept and not accept. For instance, Standard breads would much rather have a horse that toes in than toes out because they move in a, in a two beat lateral or diagonal gate, but it's a two beat gate. And so if they toe out, they're going to hit their knees. So they would rather have them toe in and paddle out the horse next to them might need a knee boot, but, but that horse won't interfere with themselves. Okay. And thoroughbreds are the complete opposite. They see a horse that toes in and they're going to have a massive coronary. So you want to take those kinds of things into consideration too. If you have a thoroughbred foal that toes in a little bit, get after it hard because it's going to, if it's already turning in on its own, it has a tendency to turn in quick and you really want to make sure that they don't. As far as, you know, it's so hard to just sit here and give advice on how you evaluate them for trimming. Because a lot of the changes you're going to make are super small. So if I have a horse that, you know, toes in and I want him, you know, and I want to turn him out a little bit, obviously I'm going to change my trim, but I don't want to do it too hard because I don't want to make them sore because all their soft tissue is developing as well. So I tend to not necessarily, like I might lower the inside just a hair, but I'll bevel that side stronger. And the outer wall, I'll leave more like a traditional shoe flat trim. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of how I make adjustments in the feet. They don't have a lot of, of wall mass. So when you talk about like beveling and stuff, you need to be a little bit careful in how you do that because they just don't have a lot of wall mass. Right. And you want to make sure that you keep it a little bit in play too. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And I feel like, like you're saying, it's probably so hard because every case is different. And, and the fact that you're looking at not only their confirmation, but how they're moving with that confirmation that's affecting your trim decisions. It's probably really hard to make a blanket statement of what you would do, you know, because there's so many compounding factors. So it's probably, you know, I guess it's probably good to find if if somebody's going to be working on a lot of foals it's good to find somebody to mentor with or work with that's already 
you know, trimming a ton of folds and assessing those kind of things so that you can see it in person. I mean, I think in general, learning to trim should be an, a hands-on in-person thing. Yeah, no, I I definitely agree. Because, yeah, it, it is one of those things that it kind of becomes, a, well, it's a lot art, to be honestly. You kind of have to follow your gut instinct when when you're evaluating. So there's not a there's not an end all be all of, you know, well, if the horse toes out, this is what you're going to do. If they toe in, this is what you're going to do. If they're over in the knee that, you know, it just doesn't work that way because the whole rest of the body comes into play for me. Right. So, yeah. You know, and as there's some, some things that you just can't fix. Right. And as someone like me with like a type A type personality, I want like those textbook answer- answers, but this career just doesn't lend, <laughs> lend to that. Which is, it doesn't. It really, it really doesn't. And it can be, you know, it's tough. You come back time and again, and you just, one of the things that I am big on is taking notes because they'll change a lot from trim to trim. And when you do a lot of them, it can be hard to keep everybody straight. Like I just, there's no way I can possibly just remember it all in my memory bank. It's not, it's not going to happen. So so I keep notes and then that'll let me know, okay, well, last time I was here, this horse stood toed out, you know, but landed laterally, but now he's landing flat. And you take all those things into consideration because you don't want to distort the capsule in your desperation to try to correct confirmation. Yeah, right. That's a big, that's a big thing. Yeah. And so I guess, you know, the the last chunk that I want to talk about, and I'll try to we, you know, we don't have to go crazy on this because I know that um, I've already kept you on the phone for a while. But like you were saying in the beginning where one hesitation to trim folds is for safety reasons, um, what are some tips you have for approaching like fold behavior and trimming safety when working with the young ones? <laughs> As someone who just got body checked by one today and oh, is no. sitting here with a muscle spasm. Oh, my God. In your back, I guess. Well, one of my really big rules is to not react. It's kind of instinctual if a horse tries to bite or kick you that, you know, somebody might want to slap it or holler at it or, but those create fear-based responses in them because they don't know. They're not trying to, they're not thinking, oh, well, you know, I'd like to kick this person's head off. They're just thinking, what is going on? Someone's trying to rip my legs off because they're prey animals. So that's what's in their brain. It's hardwired in their brain not to let people touch their limbs. And you don't want to create that, well, you were right, because now I just got slapped when I did that, that you are going to hurt me. So that's my biggest thing. It's really hard to work on them if you don't have an experienced handler, if you want me to be honest. Some of the most difficult ones to work on are actually the ones where people are only raising one or raising their first because they tend to be really spoiled. (laughs) I'm not saying that judgmentally because I did it myself, but they can just be, you know, a little more insistent on their behavior because they've gotten away with being pushy. So as far as keeping yourself safe, it's it's really hard without a good handler. You know, today I would have gotten really hurt if, if the guy hadn't said, look out, and I just started to move. And so she just kind of knocked me sideways versus jumping on me. Yeah. And she wasn't, she wasn't trying to be mean. She was just 
you know, excited, thought she should have been outside instead of in. And I guess that's the biggest thing. You just have to be patient because it's not personal. It's not personal with any horse, but with babies, it's really not. And and you're setting them up for the future. Yeah. So those, those, uh, those babies that you're working on are now we're working on horses that are older and you know how some of them just always have bad habits. Yep. They were probably probably contributed to pretty early on. Yeah. I don't know if, I don't know if I can really give too many safety tips other than a good handler. Just be patient, calm, take your time, spend an extra few minutes saying hi. (laughs) Because it makes a big, big difference. So I guess overall, like for horse owners that are listening is if they're breeding or if they have babies to make sure that they're comfortable with having their feet handled as much as possible and, you know, being aware when the farrier is there, I guess. (laughs) Well, well, honestly, they don't even have to teach the foal to pick up the feet if they can run their hands down the foal's legs. It's not that hard for me to teach them to pick up their feet pretty quick and be cooperative. The ones that you have trouble with are the ones where the second you get like below the elbow or not even to the knee or the hock and, and they're like, oh my God. And they just start firing because they have no idea why someone's trying to eat their leg. Right. They don't know. You know, when people get mad, they don't know. They, they just, they're not taught. (laughs) It's in their brain to survive and they can't flight because you're holding them and they're small. Yeah. So. They just can't. Yeah, I feel like sometimes they're a little bit noodly, like they're still figuring out how to stand on three legs, you know, <laughs> and all the fact that they're they're not sure exactly what you're doing. So I'm sure that it's like a mental exercise as much as physical for them. Oh, I think it's more mental, really. Yeah. I mean, it goes against everything that their mind is telling them. Right. Yeah. You know, and I think that sometimes people just don't take that into consideration. That's the other benefit of doing them really young. Even if they get a ton of movement and they have a good wear pattern, doing them really young helps you out because you do have a little bit more control, especially if they're not handled, you know, on a regular basis. But it's super rewarding to see the changes that come about. Yeah, it makes me want to go shadow you and see you work on foals. I know you obviously see new ones, what, like every spring, right? <laughs> yep, yep. Um, but how? Yep, they'll be starting in a couple weeks. Wow. Oh, so, okay. So it starts in like January. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, well I guess that makes sense because, you know, if they're racing. <laughs> <laughs> but awesome. Although statistically, I'm pretty sure that it really doesn't make a lot of difference. A lot of the April foals do just as well. So. I don't know if the the early development makes a difference or not. I think the young horse, the ones born in January and February spend a lot more time stall bound, even if they have nothing wrong with them because of the weather. I mean, you know, I I live in New York state when you have a couple of feet of snow and everything's ice, you're not turning that youngster out. Right. Yeah. You can't, it's not that you don't want to, but we do. There's a lot of factors. Yeah, exactly. 
All right. Well, that's, so I'm not sure how much I was really able to help or answer your questions. No, this is all really good. And honestly, for me, for someone who like doesn't do a lot of young horses, I think it's really interesting to hear, even if just to understand that like it's not just like, oh, we just go and trim the excess and leave. You know what I mean? Yeah. So overall, do you have like anything else that we missed that you'd want to like address or any like last minute things that I didn't bring up? I don't think so. I think the biggest thing is just awareness that they need to be done so often because a lot of people don't see it that way. It's a, well, you didn't do very much, so they must not have needed it, yeah. <laughs> you know, but, but when they have a little bit of an imbalance, it makes a big difference. And sometimes it can just be a swipe or two. Right. Cause that's going to affect their, their joints of the limb. It's not just. About yes. The yeah. yeah. Cause all their bones are so, so much softer. I don't know if you ever seen radiographs of young horses, but you know, they're much more transparent looking. Yeah. Um, they're just not as solid and it makes, you know, makes a big difference to them to just have that little bit of a, I can't even say a millimeter. Sometimes it's less. <laughs> yeah. You know? Right. No, it totally makes sense. <laughs> I've been having a kitten climb up my leg like the whole time. So that's why I kept being a little bit scatterbrained. <laughs> that's so cute. Like, though. Did you get a new kitten? <sighs> yeah. Well, I rescued two barn cats like that were like super sick and spent a ton of money on them. And Aww. my friend took one. So I'm like, well, now they were in my heated feed room. And so I'm like, well, now she has to come inside. <laughs> yeah. Only she's like half feral and thinks she can't walk without her claws out. Oh, you should see. I, oh my God, my arms, my chest. She hooked me in the lip earlier. She oh doesn't mean God. it, but it was very distracting to yeah. be trying to talk and like have blood running down your leg. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> it's okay. She's a maniac. All right. Well, I will edit this. Um, probably next week and let me see it'll probably publish like the the second friday of february but i'll send it to you um gosh what day is it i'll send it to you by the end of this month and then you can take a listen let me know if you want anything changed or whatever um and it's super easy i mean you know i think i've told you this before like it literally is like a click in the delete button if you want something taken out or whatever um okay and yeah and i'll let you know before it publishes and the only other thing i would need from you is like a picture you wouldn't mind me using that I can put on my graphic to like make a little, uh, you know, promo thing for the episode. Can do. Cool. All right. Well, thank you again so much. This was awesome. awesome. All right. Well, I'll get this over to you soon and you can let me know what you think. Okay. Have a good rest of your afternoon. You too. Thanks. Bye. Bye. I always say that I'm slightly more hoof obsessed than the average person, and chances are, if you're listening to a hoof care podcast, you are too, so we should probably be friends. Feel free to find me on Facebook or email me at thehumblehoof at gmail.com.